As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read with me, we'll be this morning in the Gospel of John in chapter 20. We'll be in John 20. But before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, we know that all authority in heaven and on earth is given to you. That with just a word you say come and we come, you say go and we go. Would you help us now to attend to the authority of your word? Help us to listen here with patient and eager ears as you call us to come. By the hearing of these things, would you turn each heart here to you, that we would see you and honor you. We ask this by the power of your spirit, and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is John chapter 20. I want to take up this morning these first 18 verses. So, John chapter 20, we'll begin in verse... One. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, 
Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God. Now, this text probably comes as no surprise to us on Easter morning. We have spent the past month looking at various resurrection scenes of Jesus, specifically looking at three distinct times that Jesus reveals himself to his disciples after he rose from the dead. So Jesus came, we saw, to the fearful apostles, uh, sending them out on a mission to proclaim forgiveness of sin in his name. And, And then he comes to the apostles along with disbelieving Thomas, where he gives proof to Thomas that he's alive. He says, touch me, feel my wounds in my side, in my hand. And then the third time he comes to to tired fishermen and has breakfast, a morning meal with them sitting together on the seaside of Galilee. But before any of those three events happen, Jesus first reveals himself to one woman that we see here, to Mary Magdalene. Mary is the first to give the great Easter pronouncement here. I have seen the Lord. We saw him suffer. We saw him die. We saw him in the the tomb. But now I have seen him. I have seen the Lord. But this was not what Mary was expecting when she visited that tomb early on this Sunday morning. So Jesus, we know, had previously told his followers that he would be alive again in three days, but they didn't understand him at the time. So when Mary comes now, on the day after the Sabbath, early on Sunday morning, she she shows up here and sees the tomb open and empty, and her first thought isn't, I knew it. Her first thought is not, he said it, he did it, he's alive. Her first thought is, somebody took him. I don't know where, but they took the body somewhere. And this is what in her mind seems the most make the most sense of the the things that she's looking at. And she keeps looping this idea in her mind in each interaction that she has. So when she runs to the two disciples, to to Peter and John, she says, they took the Lord's body. We don't know where he is. And then when she comes back and sees the two angels in the tomb, she says, they took the Lord's body, and we don't know where he is. And then when she sees Jesus, who she initially thinks is the gardener, she says, did you take the body? Tell me where he is. But then this whole set of events pivots for her on just one word. 
And that one word is going to be the center, the focus of the rest of our time. It's in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. I want us to observe five things about this one word. Together they'll help us see more clearly more of who Jesus is. So let's just dive in as we look at this one word. The first observation is that it is a knowing word. Of course, the most immediate thing we notice about this word is that it's a name. It's her name. When Mary first, and when Mary and Jesus first meet each other in this garden of the tombs, she doesn't recognize him, but he recognizes her. She doesn't know him, but he knows her. And he has known Mary long before this. Most of what we know about Mary Magdalene comes from these last days of Jesus' life. So the four Gospels uh, record Mary at the cross, along with several other women. She's recorded as being at the tomb when the great stone is first rolled over on Friday. She's recorded as being one of the witnesses of the angels who announced that Jesus is alive before he shows himself to anyone. She's involved in all of these major events, which shows that she is clearly part of some core group of people who loved and followed Jesus. And yet, even though she seems to be in the center of it, the only other thing that we are told about Mary, aside from these moments around the Easter week, is a brief comment earlier in Luke. When all we're told is that she is the one who had seven demons cast out of her. And then the text just kind of moves on. Now, that's probably not the way you want to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Mary, the one in, who had seven demons cast out of me. But, you know, here it is. It's just dropped in the text. It's a striking thing to mention without giving any more detail. But you can at least see how some sort of experience like that would make you want to follow the person who helped you. Make you want to follow the person who did this to you, and that's what Mary does. She, she follows Jesus after that point. So she and Joanna and Susanna and several other women who aren't named follow Jesus. They're not just groupies. They're not just roadies in the background that carry the heavy amps. These are real disciples of Jesus. Mary considers him her teacher and her Lord. And she would have spent countless hours with Jesus, listening to him, learning from him, getting to know him. So Jesus not just knows her face, not just knows her name, Jesus knows her. There's a closeness, a sort of togetherness, expressed in calling her by name here, in the way that the good shepherd calls each of his sheep by name. Similar to what the Lord has said in Isaiah, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. That's what Mary hears as 
Christ the Lord speaks this knowing word of her name. So that's the first observation. It's a knowing word. But second, it's also a waiting word. A waiting word. That is, it's not a word he says right away. It's a word that comes after what feels like a long delay. So throughout the Gospels, if we were to read John from beginning to end, we get a consistent sense of Jesus' precise timing. A sense that in the background there's a clock that's been established by some grand plan of God. So we hear Jesus every so often say, my time has not come, or my hour has not come. Until he gets to the night of the Last Supper, where he says at the beginning of John 13, where we hear this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. There's a sense of ordered time, not just leading up to the cross, but also through Jesus' death and into his resurrection, too. So, So once Jesus has resurrected, he's not just bumping into people as he walks around on the street. The living Jesus intentionally reveals himself to particular people at particular times. So so when Mary first saw the stone rolled away early, early on that Easter morning, she doesn't stick around. She she runs, and she she tells Peter and John, who run in to see for themselves, too. And and when they get there, they see this tomb area sort of disrupted, at least different than it was when they last left it on Friday. The doors gaping open, the body's gone, the linen cloths that had been around his body are now rumpled on this stone slab. The, The head covering that had been over his head is rolled up and set off to the side. But with all of that, they don't see Jesus. He's alive. He could have come then and revealed himself to Peter and said, Peter, but he doesn't. Not yet. It's not time. They're going to have to wait to see him till later that evening. So they go back home, Peter and John, and now Mary is by herself weeping beside the tomb, and it's then that Jesus first reveals himself. And when he does, the first words we hear out of his mouth to her are not the one word, Mary. His first words, you might have noticed, are not friend, not sister, not beloved. His first word is woman, woman, why are you weeping? And then Jesus waits until after she has responded to him to then speak her name, Mary. We notice here that Jesus does not immediately relieve her of her sorrow. Jesus does not jump in at the first possible moment to take away that ache as quick as he can. Faster 
is not always better. But instead, Jesus waits, if only just a few moments, to then say this one word. And his word to her is not a tease. It's not a test. He's not toying with her. His word just waits until the time is right. That's the second observation. It's a waiting word. Now the third. This is a caring word. A caring word. Up until this word, Mary, it's hard to know how to describe her. She's in a flurry of disarray. You know, and and in the moments directly before the word, she's just sobbing. It's a very sad moment beside the tomb. She can't find the missing body of her Lord that she had built her whole life around. And when she sees this man whom she initially thinks is the gardener, which is mystifying to us, she says to him, tell me where you've moved him and and, and I'll take him. As if she's going to be able to, you know, pick up or drag or carry this lifeless body on her own. In all of these things together, we see and hear a woman who is distraught, dismayed, desperate. And because of that, some people have criticized Mary for what they think here is a lack of faith. You know, if Mary would have just believed, she would have been just fine. And I don't think that criticism is warranted here. When I look at this, I see a woman who is full of faith, even in the midst of her distress and confusion. I suppose we don't know, only God knows the heart, but whatever we might think about Mary's faith, or maybe lack of faith, we at least cannot accuse Mary of a lack of care can't accuse her of a lack of care. All she cares about now is finding the body of Jesus. She's absorbed in this total, complete attention focused on that. Have you ever been so fixated on just one thing that it's like you can't even see anything else? The sky could be falling down and you wouldn't even notice. That's what's happening. And her care is not just one-sided. The care's not just coming from Mary to Jesus, but also from Jesus to Mary. Jesus cares too. Even though Mary is the one who seeks Jesus, Jesus is the one who finds Mary. Now, Jesus is not caring in the same way that she is, he is not consumed by care for Mary. Mary is not the center of his universe. Nobody really wants that. Some, that sounds nice in theory to some people, but in reality, it would be really crushing to be the center of anyone's universe, much less to be the center of God's universe. So Jesus isn't consumed by care for her, but he's also not just distracted either preoccupied. 
sort of carelessly half focused on her because he's got a busy, busy schedule. Come on now, Mary. It's Easter morning. I got places to go, people to see. People are going to talk about this for centuries. No, in this moment, she, for just a moment, she is the apple of his eye. She is the focus of his attention as he speaks the caring word, Mary. There's the third, the fourth now. This is a satisfying word. A satisfying word. You know, all Mary wants in this moment is just to know where her Lord is. That's all she wants. She doesn't even realize that he is standing right in front of her, that her deepest desires are within her reach if only she knew to reach out. Makes you wonder how often that's true for us, too. But at any rate, Jesus, we know, had, had taught the crowds who followed him that, that pursuing those sorts of desires is a good thing. We're not just to crush or pretend like we don't care about things. These desires are good. He said to the people in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, if I can find it, he said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So here is Mary standing at this door, asking, seeking, knocking, please, 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 somebody, somewhere, someone, tell me, where is my Lord? And then Jesus, with just one word, Mary, offers up the latch that will throw open that door. His speaking of her name is the very open sesame to her longing, and her desires then are satisfied. More than satisfied, even. Because you know what she asked for was the body of Jesus. What she got was the body of Jesus living breathing, standing, and calling her name. In that moment, you could have offered Mary the world on a string, and it would not have added one drop to her sense of satisfaction. She has everything she wants. In that moment, she's not going to be left chasing after money or influence or power or appreciation. Those things might offer some supply, but they cannot satisfy. If her treasure is Jesus, then with just one word, she can be satisfied. Now, we've seen so far that this one word is many things, even more than what I've mentioned. It's a knowing word a waiting word, a caring word, a satisfying word. It shows some things about our Lord Jesus. He is knowing and waiting and caring and satisfying. But there is a fifth component to this word that is perhaps the most important. So if I missed you before, don't miss this. The fourth 
fifth and final observation is that this is a turning word. It's a turning word. What do I mean by that? If we are careful listeners of what's written here, you might have noticed that there are two turns that happen with Mary in this scene, and we need to see this, okay? When she first returns to the tomb after the incident with Peter and John, and, and, and they've gone back home, and now she ducks her head into this narrow entry of the tomb and looks inside, what she sees, what she's met with, are two angels of God who are sitting where the body of Jesus once was, one at the head and one at the foot, and she and the angels have a very short conversation. And that conversation ends when Mary turns around. Now, perhaps the angels saw something behind Mary and she recognizes something is different, so she turns and looks too. Perhaps Mary heard a noise. Perhaps she saw a shadow. Perhaps she just had a gut feeling. But this is what we hear in verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. So she's still at the doorway of the tomb where she has been looking in, and she turns to face Jesus, even though she doesn't recognize him, and they exchange a few words face to face. But before we hear, uh, before we, they exchange these few words, and then we hear Jesus speak our one word in verse 16. Listen, Jesus said to her, Mary... And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. She turns again. So in other words, her body is facing Jesus. But something within her is still facing back into the tomb. Something in her mind, in her heart, somewhere is still distracted, still torn, still searching for the one who is living among the dead. But when Jesus speaks the one word, Mary, she makes the second turn, and all that is within her now turns and faces the Lord. Jesus has just turned her heart with a word. That is the very power and glory of God. The very voice that said to the dark, light, and there was light. The very voice that said to the storms, peace, and the waves were still. The very voice that said to the demons, go, and they would flee. That voice now speaks to the woman, Mary. And the eyes of her heart are opened. And she can see the Lord. 
Jesus speaks a turning word, and that is enough. That's good news for us. The wonder of Easter is that the living Lord Jesus makes the dead alive. He makes the lost found. He makes the sinful clean. He's accomplished this already by the blood of his cross. He's secured this already by the emptiness of his tomb. By the emptiness of his tomb. But now he applies all of that by just a word of his power. So here, hear the voice of Jesus call your name with just one word. Listen, turn, and see your Lord. Pray with me. Lord, would you would you do this to all of us now too? Would you call every name in here? Turn every heart in here. We know that you know your sheep. You care for us. You will satisfy our every longing. Thank you, Jesus. Not just for coming back from your own death, but for making us alive as well. Help us to turn and see you that we would rest in your power. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.